0: Listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I'm joined by
1: Matt Handrahan, Brendan Sinclair, Chris String.
0: We're gonna be talking about the biggest stories from the games industry over the past week, starting with uh, a kind of a combination. One is that EA has banned, a, has issued a lifetime ban on a FIFA player following racial abuse against uh, ex-footballer Ian Wright. I'll go into the details with that in a minute. And then we're gonna also talk about Twitch's first global transparency report. Just wanna to generally touch on the way that gamers behave online through these platforms and how they are dealt with. Um, so let's look at EA first. An 18-year-old player um, was playing Ultimate Team using the Ian Wright Icon card, so the the Ian Wright player card, and having lost a game, he then sent 20 racist messages to Ian Wright himself on Instagram, despite the fact that Ian Wright has absolutely no involvement in the game. Um, The case apparently elevated and went to court. The player in question um, apologised to Ian Wright and pleaded guilty. He was not given a criminal conviction because the judge considered that uh, he had shown sincere regrets. But EA issued a lifetime ban on him from playing any EA sports titles. Um, we've covered this on the site. There'll be a link in the show notes. Ian Wright actually responded to this and you know, debated whether or not the the, the punishment was uh, acceptable. And kind of it, this just touched on the gen- the general problem of racism and just at this stage, kind of any. Any act against it is not enough. That's absolutely not the way that it should be phrased, but it's at least it's better than nothing, I guess, is the, is the way. I mean, what were your thoughts on on how EA handled this?
2: Well, I don't... I think you might slightly have mischaracterised it there because Ian Wright... I listened to the... I listened to the, the podcast... Ian Wright's podcast, Rice's House. I listen to it every week anyway. I listen to it. He was really, really pleased with EA's response. The thing he was disappointed with was actually what happened in the court... Uh, I think the guy got um, the the teenage player in question was given probation and and Ian Wright released a statement saying he's disappointed Uh, I'll quote a little bit from here because I think it's relevant to to EA's response and and Ian Wright's response to EA's response Uh, This case was never about revenge, it was always about consequences for acts of racism My forgiveness of this young man was for my own deeply personal need and desire to move forward without further anguish I'm a 57-year-old man that has experienced racism throughout my life. I wasn't expecting my forgiveness to be an invitation to lighten a sentence. Seeing this judgment, and I can only wonder what deterrent there is for anyone else who spouts this kind of vile, racist abuse. An individual wished death upon me because of my skin colour. No judge's claims of naivety or immaturity will ever be acceptable to us. The supposed immaturity and naivety of our attackers is never any comfort. That 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 is where... He was disappointed. I, I actually, Ian Rice seemed very surprised and very pleasantly surprised that EA did anything at all. And I think the thing he communicated most clearly was he wasn't really expecting it because he saw. And I, I'm, you know, I again, I listened to this podcast. I listened to the whole segment of that. You, you can see quotes from it online, but they actually talk about it for a good sort of five solid minutes. Three different people talking. But I think it, Wright um, sort of observes the separation between because I think the the abuse took place on Instagram. He just sees the separation. He just didn't really, he didn't necessarily see it as EA's responsibility to do anything, which makes it more striking that EA did do something because, in Wright's point of view, this was a matter for the court and for him. You know.
1: Yeah, that so. that EA would would do this is. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by it. I, I think uh, this is something that's sort of. A long time coming because we see uh, a lot of times companies, especially social networks or people running platforms like Twitch or YouTube, um, the answer to harassment and organized harassment uh, oftentimes seems to be like, well, it's really hard because they're not the harassment might be taking place on our platform, but it might be organized somewhere else. And are we going to discipline people for actions that were taken off of our platform? And it's, it's encouraging to see EA say that even though this happened on Instagram, uh, it happened in and around our game. Uh, and, and that is something... That I think is kind of a necessary step for for companies to take now if they if they want their games to be more than just, you know, people sitting down and playing it for 30 minutes as as part of their day. If if they really want to be like entwined and ingrained in, in in people's lives as much as they are and as much as they're designed to be, I, I think that there is a uh, responsibility then to understand that your game doesn't your responsibility doesn't end like once someone turns the game off. Any kind of harassment that happens in around because of your platform, your game, uh you've you've got an obligation to to step in and squash that. I'm sort of a, I'm reading up on it. There was <laughs> sorry at the minute because I completely missed
3: this story. I'm sorry for not coming prepared. Um, I'm just sitting there going... Because when you said he didn't get a criminal conviction, I was like, well, hang on. If he pleaded guilty, surely he got a criminal conviction. But apparently not. That's mental.
1: Um, It's crazy. Uh, That was one thing that really actually also bothered me is uh, Ian Wright specifies that he didn't think that uh, his accepting the kid's apology... I, I say kid, but I mean old enough to know better for sure. Uh, him accepting this person's apology he didn't expect that to you know be used as as a way to lighten the sentence and I, I think that's really kind of a a horrible position to put victims of racism in because they either have to you know if, if the the person guilty of the the racist acts you know if, if they apologize then the victim here is saying like okay well, Either I accept this apology and I understand that, that this will, you know, probably be used to lighten their sentence and let them get off with fewer consequences, or I don't accept this apology and then I have to look like, you know, a a jerk to everyone else and, and suffer, you know, additional criticism on my personal character when, you know, I'm I'm already the victim here in the first place for having the racist abuse hurled at me. And I think that is absolutely a rotten position to put these to put any victim of abuse in. Uh it it just kind of it it adds another injury on on top of what they've already suffered. And that like I, I agree with Wright that that his accepting the apology being used as an excuse for for giving this person uh, a lighter sentence or probation instead is, is just kind of rotten
3: yeah i mean with young people i often think when it comes to them doing something ridiculous you know getting any criminal conviction is really you know it's in in itself the criminal conviction is almost punishment in itself because even if you end up not actually being handing down a community order or something if it's in most countries you have to declare a criminal record right so if you're 18 and you've got you get you gotta get a criminal record for something like this you've got five to ten years of having to declare that for every job you go to and it's um and it can be quite and it's quite quite a, quite a damaging thing to do to, to to a young person but you know it, it that itself is like it, it seems like reading this he didn't get a criminal conviction at all which is which is crazy to me um <clears throat> sorry i'm just I, i'm catching up
1: But uh, you're right i agree with mm-hmm. everyone it's said. it's if right wants if Wright chose to specifically like you know say i i accept his apology i forgive him and i hope that he doesn't get you know, I hope that he gets a lighter sentence or whatever. If he wants to lobby for that, that's great. That's, that's perfectly fine. But I <laughs> making it so that it's uh that kind of like, you know, you're either, uh, not accepting an apology and, and not being any forgiving at all, or you're, you know, just kind of saying, Oh, it's perfectly okay. Not only do I have to be a victim of this abuse, but then I also have to, assist this person in in getting away from any consequences for it and that's bunk
2: well I mean I think maybe that's why you know I was so pleased uh, to see to see this EA uh, position come through because it was you know it was something that materially will affect or, or it's a lesson that can be taught to this person I suppose um, and I, I think there is probably well I mean I, I think it's sort of an unalloyed good thing that the EA did um, I think the the thing that I think we, the question we have for most games companies actually is that, and I think you mentioned it in your week in business roundup piece, Brendan, that you know what 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 would what's EA's position when it isn't someone as public facing as Ian Wright and and it doesn't involve uh, you know that that level of co- but you know to be honest, there's a value in in making a public statement about this. I mean, how visible this is, um, how far the news travelled, can be a deterrent in its own right as well um whether or not it's possible for ea to police every instance of this i don't really know but certainly you can try and send a message to to the to the fifa community and and kind of communicate that there are consequences when these things do do kind of do catch the attention in the right way i exactly whether you can uh you know mete out this kind of um these kinds of consequences to everybody who transgresses in this way which is to say uh, a grievance in fifa spills over onto a completely different platform and uh, you know the person in question isn't isn't a very public figure i i genuinely don't know i mean ea has certainly made a lot of um uh, made a lot of public commitments to stamping out this kind of stuff online so we know it's serious about it but i think it's as much a much about whether or not it can actually be done uh, in in every single instance but like i said no. I, I think this one sends a message
3: yeah and it that connects to what I suspect is the twitch bit right because um twitch is a um twitch's numbers are, you know the actual people who were punished for uh discretions on twitch seem you know quite low and I think it kind of speaks to how I don't know i don't know if it might it might speak to twitch's inability to do it or um but i do know that i remember i've had a couple of conversations with dave mccarthy at xbox and they've got all this new automation tools and they're developing all these things to try and stamp out some of this behavior um online but as we talk to them you suddenly he goes oh yeah we can't handle that and we can't do that and it's difficult to judge this and this makes it hard for this and you end up thinking Blimey, we are." It, you know unless you have like banks and banks and banks of people being able to listen and pay attention and sort of watch what people say online it might I, I suspect it's 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 a constant it's going to be a constant ongoing conversation and battle to trying um, to, to police this kind of thing right
0: so let's touch on the twitch report and let's dive in a little bit to the numbers brendan you covered this um twitch released its first transparency report which went to an, into a lot of detail about how it moderates its um, channels or allows streamers and, and hosts to moderate their channels as chris says this kind of mix of human moderation and auto mod um most channels by the by the end of the second half of 2020 96 percent of channels were using a mixture of both human and automatic moderation um within so over the course of the year 13.3 million reports of some form you know user reports complaining about something were issued um over the course of the year of those 13.3 million only 1.99 million actually resulted or there were only 1.99 million enforcement actions taken now obviously we don't know how many you know multiple reports of the same in, um, incident obviously can lead to only one action but even so that is less than 15 percent of all reports have specifically led to um an enforcement and then we got into much much worse ones uh, later i'm scrolling down for more numbers here we go um, the most frequently reported category of offence, and by far and away the one that most likely to lead to actionable consequence, was viewbotting, spam and other community violations. Um, they were that accounted for roughly 6.6 million reports, so around about half of the reports made last year, and led to 1.72 enforcements. Um, so 26% of those reports were acted upon, and one point two seven two million means that most of the reports most of the actions taken were around this. Um, whereas hateful conduct, sexual harassment and harassment, so non-sexual harassment, um, only resulted in 2% of reports being made that actually led to an action. Um, and then when you get into other categories like violence, gore, threats and other shocking conduct, the numbers are even lower. Okay,
2: is that so, be- oh, sorry, just to clarify, is that because... Yeah, of course. So, that, so 2%, the, the har- harassment one, 2% of those rep- i'm trying to get a sense of what proportion of all of the reports made were in that category and therefore well how what is does that right three what, like, does that cast on the two percent because
0: it's meaningless and I've, I've i've, I've missed numbers i've missed the numbers there 3.9 million reports were made on against hateful conduct sexual harassment and harassment only eighty thousand seven hundred sixty-seven, so two percent of those three point nine million were acted upon.
1: So well, well below the average, yeah. And that action could be a warning or a temporary ban or an indefinite ban. So, like even even just a warning, um, and we, we should say that these these numbers it's we're having to fudge a little bit here for a number of reasons. Uh, one is twitch was not as forthcoming with the data as uh we would have liked so the the total number of reports in each category they didn't give us the absolute number we had to uh or i had to look at the graph that they did give us it was a bar chart and it had uh, the the number of reports on the the vertical axis and i was sitting there with a ruler and doing some math and trying to figure out exactly how many millimeters equals how many reports it was, it was not ideal. So the numbers might be a little fudged there. Uh, and on top of that, these are just the number of reports versus the number of enforcement actions. And we did get exact numbers for enforcement actions from Twitch. But if you have one incident and it's reported by 100 people and they act on it, do all of those 100 reports then... Uh, count as having had their own enforcement. And, and we're not entirely sure about that. Um, so so there are some, you know, uh, context here, some, some sort of things that need to be taken into account when you consider this. But still, when you have viewbotting spam and other community uh, offenses, having 26% of all reports acted upon versus hate harassment, sexual uh, harassment. That was 2% violence, gore threats, and other shocking conduct, uh, was less than 1%. It was 0.75% nudity, pornography, and sexual conduct. It was around 2.5%. Um, and, and all of those had at least a million reports. So it's not like an insignificant number here. And, uh, Oh, another qualifier here that you have to take into account. There are false reports that are being made. People use the reporting function to harass others. Um, So if there are a whole bunch of like, uh, particularly in the um, nudity, pornography, and sexual conduct thing, uh, streamers, cosplay streamers, or body paint streamers, or whatever might, might have a whole bunch of people reporting them for that. I... I don't know how big a problem that is relative to the entirety of Twitch. And Twitch did not even acknowledge in their report that this was a thing that could possibly happen, that some of these reports are made in bad faith. So there are a lot of kind of like, well, you got to take this into account elements around here, but there's still nothing that should suggest why the community infractions and spam and viewbotting is 26% acted on and everything else is like two percent or less
2: hmm. so can we do you think infer <laughs> i mean yeah it's hard not to infer something about twitch's values you know what i mean from from that like very concerned about spam and this kind you know the kind of the commercially driven side of things but when it when it comes to when it comes to people being nice to each other and not harassing each other and not abusing each other, there's just yeah. a far, far... I do think that, obviously, is, it, is, it, is,
3: it is... I'm it. going for those automation oh. tools I mentioned earlier. I spoke with Xbox. If someone spams, it, it does trigger an automatic, like, kick, if you know what I mean. So that's... I don't know. Again, it's difficult to know without really being able to get some sort of more behind-the-scenes data. But um, whereas if... So, I, I mean, you... They obviously they can kick people for using certain words and certain terms and things, but that you know that yeah, the those people learn to find different ways to say the same things that dodge the uh, the automated systems that spot that's designed to spot those kind of things. Um But um which but then again, say it does. It, you can infer some stuff here, I think, but it, it, it's going back to what Brendan said. It's yeah. a little difficult. There, to
1: there's how. another. You, you mentioned the automatic detection thing that, that that's another thing that kind of skews the numbers here. Um, because the enforcements can, can have happened because of user reports or because of machine detection of harmful content is the way Twitch described it. Um, so having the enforcements and the reports, it's not a, you know, it's a little bit apples to oranges, but, uh, a couple of things that, that struck me here is that like one twitch has a history of um not acting on reports of sexual harassment and misconduct on the platform um that was one of the like larger takeaways from um the report that uh, i did last year talking with a bunch of uh current former twitch employees and, and and people and just i'm still horrified by half the stories that they told me there um And then on top of that, this report, like it, it leads with things like the moderation being used in 96% of streams, whether it's human auto mod or both, or uh, they specify that, okay, there were 13.3 million total reports. And that works out to about 0.7 reports for every 1000 hours of content watched on Twitch, which sounds really, really small. And, and maybe relative to the 17 billion hours or whatever that is was watched on Twitch, yeah, maybe that doesn't sound like it's a huge problem. But when you think about how many streamers might have, you know, if, you, if they have a thousand people watching and they stream for an hour, you're going to have, you know, probably at least one report from that. Uh, when you think of, of how quickly the reports can add up when you've, when you've got, you know, one streamer with a large audience, how many thousands hours of content they are generating is, is kind of, uh, it adds up in a hurry. And then the, the other thing is just that the Twitch, you know, they led with those numbers, but, but these, uh, percentage reports, they they made me work for them. <laughs> you know, they, I, I had to look through their thing, realize like, oh, hey, well, given this information here and then that information there, maybe I can do this. And then when I reached out to Twitch and asked for them, okay, can I have the, the absolute numbers for the user reports that you had there? And uh, they, they said, we're not able to share a breakdown of the absolute number of reports by type, but the graph should give you a sense of the proportion of each. So like they sort of, They want to try and appear transparent, but they're not. They're not actually just giving us these numbers and then giving us like the explanations as to why this, that, or the other is the problem. Like, oh well, here's here's the struggle with, you know, reports being used as harassment and bad faith user reports, and we estimate it's about this this amount of the thing. Seems to be like that. They just kind of, you know, gloss over all of that, and it, it seems to be not really, not really in the right spirit of a uh, uh, something that is supposed to be a global transparency report. So I am and remain skeptical of uh, of Twitch's efforts on this front. And I'm not saying that it's it's I'm not saying it's not a hard problem to solve. Uh, I'm I'm saying that they historically, have not seemed to really make it a priority when it comes down to it.
2: Yeah, I think um, obviously you don't want to get too much in the realms of speculation, but the problem is that when a company isn't transparent, you're left with no alternative but to make a few educated guesses. And, and you know, why would you, if you are have made a commitment to transparency, then be withholding? pretty crucial numbers for anyone to actually understand what they're looking at and it can only i mean you know the logically it would be because it's not a good look you know what i mean like the the results are do not flatter your company and there is an attempt to to kind of spin the results and i again that, that's my speculation that's not me saying that, that is what's going on but like well, where where are we left apart from to make those kinds of inferences from what's in front of us when we can't get access to we can't get access to all the data in a report that's about transparency which is an irony that i'm sure is uh, not lost on twitch
0: they said towards the start of the report that like they 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 emphasized this is the first time we've done this. We are planning to use these reports as a kind of a bar for our progress and how we're improving over time. Here's all our moderation reports, know uh, yeah, moderation technologies and techniques as they are um i have to confess i didn't get to the end of the report brendan i don't know if you did like did they say anything about how they intend to improve on this and have they by the either on the tools or on how they action these, these yeah well they, they
1: talked about their uh their recent overhaul of some community guidelines and stepping up uh support for the like trust and safety team and things like that but they didn't they didn't like, you know, roll out a roadmap of how they're going to deal with things, and and the the report it didn't really have a conclusion. Like it just it just kind of ends with like here's our, our last few uh, things on cooperating with law enforcement and uh, dealing with with tips, cybercrime tips from people, and and here's the subpoenas that we acted upon and things like that. So it's um, yeah, the, I I didn't. I, I don't remember them uh, uh, talking about a substantial, you know, here's our next steps that will improve on these numbers. Cause they didn't, the numbers that they presented uh, didn't really scream like, hey, this needs improving. I, they did say that they will be releasing these twice a year though, and I am uh, very, very curious about what sort of format they will be releasing them in the future. And uh, if they will be giving us the same numbers that we can uh, do the same math on, or if they will be a little more forthcoming with, with things like the absolute numbers that, that of reports that we are looking at.
0: I suspect we will be doing more math. But
1: to be
2: clear, though, Brendan, this 2% of hateful conduct and harassment reports were acted upon. That's that is, a figure yeah. that you had to deduce for yourself. Yeah, because we, have,
1: we had the absolute well, that, that number of enough. enforcements we did not have the absolute number of reports um i had to infer the the number of reports and then the connection between yeah, yeah, the yeah. two uh, like i mentioned yeah. is not as you know rock solid one-to-one apples to apples as we would like
2: well i mean i want well, I, I guess my point is more that if twitch is serious about <clears throat> improving um in the in this regard and wants to be kind of you know Want people to, to see that happening, then it shouldn't be on us to kind of puzzle this out with rulers you know, on your computer screen. That that's the kind of data that it needs to put out there. Um, yeah, I guess it, we're in a position where. Twitch has this data, the data, the more damning data, and it's not really putting it out there in a way that can be easily understood or di- digested by people, which makes you question why they're putting anything out there at all, If again, if it's about being transparent and, and improving. Um, so we're just having to assume that Twitch's intentions to improve are genuine and that even if it, it is reluctant to, for, to show people that kind of damning statistic there, it does matter to it internally and it wants to push ahead. The issue we've got is how will we ever know? Because it's not letting us know what this stuff is. So when it, the next report comes out, and the one after that, and one after that, if it wasn't for your work in finding your way to these figures, we wouldn't have any idea about how to look for improvements, even if they were being made. It's a very strange uh, situation uh, with Twitch and, and what its motivations are based on all of this. Uh, yeah, because you want to believe that they want to get better, but it's also hard to truly believe that when they're base when they when it does seem like they're trying to shield some of the more damning aspects of this from public view, which is kind of yeah. Look on our website; it has form in that area.
0: Tune in in a few months for an episode of the podcast where we discuss the next semi-transparent report,
1: mildly opaque
0: next story we want to discuss is the uh, returning rumor of the switch pro or the switch hd or the mega switch uber switch whatever you want to call it i think everyone goes with switch pro Um, nintendo is reportedly set to unveil uh, an upgraded switch soon Uh, bloomberg spoke to sources close to the company's plans who obviously had to speak under an anonymity i think from what i what i inferred from this the report is the the sources are not necessarily from nintendo but with nintendo's uh partner manufacturing partner which is Samsung display. So uh, apparently Samsung are making a new 7 inch OLED screen um, Which is obviously bigger than the 6.2 inch display of the standard uh, switch or the 5.5 inch screen of the switch light uh, Both of which are liquid crystal rather than OLED. Uh, it's going to reduce battery consumption offer higher contrast uh, resolution is going to be 720p if you're having it in handheld mode and um, and the idea is that the next model is hoped to offer 4K ultra high definition graphics uh, when docked and played via the TV. So the Switch is more in line with Xbox Series X and uh so XS and PlayStation 5. Sources suggested this was going to be in mass production by June and by well, the screens are going to be in mass production by June and then shipped to the assemblers who will build the whole Switch uh, in July, which suggests maybe a Christmas release, if not early 2022. Um, again, none of this is official, but it's one of those things that's come up so regular, it's hard not to believe it. I'm sure we have asked this before, but do we need a Switch Pro? Yes.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, Switch is starting to look quite old. Um, it is like it feels weird to think about it. It comes up in my little my little time hop reminder in January, of when we went to the Switch event, and it was like James, we'd only just joined GI, you know. It was, um, and I feel like I've been here forever, and and it's a bit, it doesn't feel like it's been on that long. But this is the um, we're heading into the fifth year of this console, um, and it looks a bit. But the thing is, this this rumor is far more believable than the idea of there being some 1.5 upgrade, which is what the rumors were before. Not that I didn't believe those, but Nintendo do this all the time. They do a slight improved version of their machine um, that looks a little better and runs a bit smoother, but it's ultimately the same machine. And that's what this rumor says. You know, it, it would output in 4K, the screen, the handheld screen's a lot nicer. There's a few more, it might move a bit faster, look a little bit, but ultimately it's the same console you know the games will run the same people who own a switch now won't necessarily feel obligated to upgrade the games that are coming out in the future will work on the old switch it's a little bit more in keeping with what you'd actually expect nintendo to do and you know with these big fancy 4k machines generating lots of excitement at the minute and not being able to stay in stock long enough i think i think nintendo will particularly for its more engaged users its more core users um i think there is a demand for a more enhanced version of its Start starting to look a bit old, console. So yeah, I think I think they do. I don't. don't, It will survive without it. But if I look at the Wii as a great example of a machine that did really really well, Nintendo didn't do anything with that, and then it faded away quite quickly. And if they're really serious about a seven eight year lifespan for this console, then you know, keep it feeling fresh. Do something a bit new. Give us a fancy OLED screen. I'm all over that. That Sounds good.
1: Okay, I got a couple things to say there, Chris. Mm -hmm. One, the reason that the Wii faded away. Um, I'm not sure it's because they didn't make a Wii HD. No, Uh, but... I I think it's a lot to do with the novelty of the the Wii motion controls sort of losing their appeal to everyone. Yeah,
3: yeah, but I mean, if you you think about Nintendo's core fans, they really... I was a Nintendo core fan. I abandoned that machine after Galaxy, pretty much, because the number of games that were there for me... It wasn't just... You're right, it wasn't just the quality of the game, but I was so swung over by Xbox and their fancy HD games and then eventually PlayStation 3 as well... Whereas yeah. you know the Wii felt a bit old and a little bit not for me anymore. And the thing is, the difference is that yeah, you're right. It wasn't the main reason this and, Wii, but
1: it did fade away. February. And you mention yeah, and you mentioned the the what Nintendo does for their hardware thing. But didn't the new 3DS have games specifically that would yeah, it, not work? It, it on was the old it was like 3 ds It was like
3: two of them, wasn't it? It's the real small. There, there there was a handful of games that ran on the new 3DS that that they wouldn't run
1: on the other devices. Um, and maybe that'll be the case this time that is the most recent hardware refresh kind of thing that we have to go on and i like i i ordinarily would have you know totally agreed with you and i could still see that nintendo doing a you know everything works kind of thing but um yeah that the new 3ds was such a weird departure and nintendo was willing to do that and then you've got the switch Lite, where it doesn't do Ring Fitness or Ring Fit Adventures or any any some of those other things that need the Joy-Con separately, um, and I'm I'm not as I'm not as sure that Nintendo really feels compelled to, to keep you know universal compatibility yeah, in its I, platforms.
3: I now. believe there will be a couple of you know, We're talking hard the DSI. If you want to go further back, the DSI with its cameras had games that only worked on the DSI. So there were they, this. The, there are examples of games that don't cross. Uh, that don't go backwards. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, the Game Boy Color had a few as well, you, you, um, and um, the um, the actually it may have been quite a few actually. But the um, the I'm, I'm not saying that there won't be a few games that you know that wouldn't have been possible on the Switch because of the extra power of the Switch. You know, the Switch uh, the new Switch uh, that it won't happen. But you know one handful of games isn't a new isn't quite the same thing as a you know it, it, it being a huge enhancement over. Over what's come next because you might as well just launch a new switch right you might as well just do here's the super switch which is completely new and can play loads of new super fast games um but i mean i just it's not this it's, it's is not the display the problem with
2: the switch at the moment i mean i i feel like the switch has always like since day one the switch had a bit of a limitation when it came to sort of third party triple a stuff and and it would seem to me that the most compelling reason to have a new switch if it's not going to be like a proper full here's a new console kind of switch a uh, new new console kind of revision um would be to get more triple a third party stuff working because from day 1 you had you had companies like Bethesda having to rebuild their whole games just to get them working on the machine like it's not it's not a simple thing like if they're not going to do much else under the but the problem is of course you're right i mean this is not it's not Nintendo's style to have a version of the con- like to have a version of the console where supports games that don't work on the other one and, and like on mass as well so I think one of, one of the limitations as a Switch owner and not a big Nintendo fan myself, I love the console um, I do wish I had more access to more games on it that weren't Nintendo games and indie games that, that there's a big gap in what they can serve and that gap's been there since day one it's only getting wider and if you do this sort of hardware refresh that would theoretically make it more capable you're still going to You know, there's games right now that won't work on the old Switch and they're only getting more and more advanced. So you're just going to, I don't know, I feel like in some sense it's just a bit of a different, the Switch feels like a different proposition to the Wii U, to the Wii, to the DS, which, because it's, it's such a compelling form factor to me. But i feel like you could just stick with the basic switch concept and just have three or four consoles in a row all that are basically the same as the switch without getting because it, cause it's about the portability and the ability to kind of carry it from a in r- living room experience to an experience on the go that's not going to get old in the way that motion controls got old on the wii and it's not going to get old the way a second screen did on wii u and it's not going to get old in the way a stylus does it's not I don't know how to choose the word gimmick because it, it's derogatory, but like there is a gimmicky nature to all of those products that I don't think you really have with the Switch. It's not a gimmick on the Switch. It's a it's a very fundamental new way of thinking about how you play games. That's that's its power to me. And I feel like this is a concept that could go for fifth like ten more years, not just another two or three. And I think that's an issue for Nintendo, because Nintendo historically hasn't had to think like that, but it's come up with this really amazing machine that could easily have you know, like the whole Xbox model, right? Of like new you could totally, you know, put that on the switch and it would make loads of sense, right? Just to have hardware that's kind of renewing but it's all kind of portable and can go between these different playing playing styles and spaces. It's just but that's not what Nintendo does, right? There's a contradiction.
3: Well no, and you know, I actually I actually agree with you. Um oddly, it's a it's not very Nintendo style either, but you know, the Switch isn't doesn't have any competition either. No one's Xbox isn't trying to go after it playstation isn't trying to go after it um nintendo could just keep making more powerful switches at this point and i completely i wouldn't be surprised if their next actual console is just a more powerful switch and but i think with third parties they've never had call of Duty. um the assassin's creed games they've got have been you know older versions on previous gen i don't i don't think that's going to change um i don't think that's ever going to change and but third parties are starting to support it more we actually saw that in the last direct it was something that was a bit. It was a bit boring in the last direct, but there was quite a lot of games from EA in it, for instance. And they weren't they weren't the big EA games, but they were games that were um, playable on. They were the things like the you know the, the what's it the, the the dodgeball game and the um, Knockout City and the um, and Plants vs Zombies and I think and I think that's always going to be the case. Third parties are going to have to be a little bit more specialist with what they make on Switch um, than what they do on on other platforms um and i and i don't i don't really see this new switch at the end of the year as being an answer to that. i actually see it as a way to sort of when they have the new zelda game you know they can show it off on a 4k tv and it's and it looks you know it looks not comparable but at least a less little bit competitive against what will be like horizon or the other games that will be promoted around the same time and um it doesn't seem like it's so out of date that's the thing i'm interested we're talking about skyward sword recently haven't we and i remember at the time when skyward sword was announced and it was a standard definition game in the hd era and i and i just i remember at the time thinking this game doesn't look very good i mean it artistically it was quite nice in parts but um uh, so i think i think that's kind of what i think this is this is more of an this is more for existing switch players this is uh uh, a new this is what nintendo do they did it with the new 3ds they did it with the dsi it's a bit of a a souped up model that if you're still engaged still playing with the platform hey here's here's those games you love looking a little better um but i so i don't i don't really know if i don't know if third parties will ever really come on board in the same way that you know that We want them to. But then what's increasingly happening, there's two things that I think that for Nintendo and third parties, I mean, there's two interesting developments, is you're starting to see a lot of third parties thinking about cross-platform with mobile, um, with particularly the PC space. Um, So that's quite interesting with things like, you know, Fortnite and even more niche titles like XCOM. And then you've got the other side of it, which is streaming, because you know we've just had hitman playable on switch in streaming and it's all right you know it, it works um it's the technology is not quite there yet but the thing is the switch isn't overly well built for streaming um and maybe that's one of the things we'll get with the new switch that comes out this christmas maybe it will be a bit more uh it will run streamed titles a little bit better we might see see more cloud editions of games um it's all quite niche yeah
0: I wondered that because, um, like, kind of reiterating what we've been saying about like third parties, like, yeah, there's a massive gap between what the original Switch is capable of and what current consoles um, deliver. So I, I have got The Witcher Three on my Switch. I've still got standard, you know, launch edition of Switch, and as much as I absolutely love, I love the ability that you know just play it in bed, play it on the train, on the plane, or whatever. Over the past year, with us travelling less and therefore me playing my Switch in handheld mode less, I've become more conscious that it doesn't match up to say the Xbox One or even the Xbox Series X version, you know, slightly you know, patched version, and and I wonder like I, you know mentioned the Assassin's Creed like the the Switch the sound of the Switch Pro is like right that sounds like a device that might be able to run Valhalla Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but then the original Switch wouldn't be able to. So the only way I can see them. Handling that is like right. You can get this. You can buy this, and if it doesn't run in your Switch Pro, you get included the cloud version. If you've got a standard Switch, that's the only way I can see this working. So that they do have compatibility without locking out people who still have their original model.
2: But I, th- I think that I think it's worth highlighting there that I mean you use Witcher Three as an example of a game that the current consoles can do. The Witcher Three is six years old, and it could only just work on Switch. Like that's it I, I think it becomes a more and because I think is, I'm not saying like the switch needs to run cyberpunk or assassin's creed valhalla like you know I just think that there is there's a gap there you know and and the gap grows wider and wider the switch struggles to run games made 6 years ago that that's quite significant I do think at some point like an under the hood refresh is going to have to happen for it otherwise it's just a case of Nintendo constantly delivering um but I mean the thing is if you go back to the Wii there was Call of Duty on the Wii. It wasn't very good. Um, there was Silent Hill on the Wii. That was actually really good. I mean, they but they made the game especially for it. We're, as was Chris was saying, I think we're at the point now where the install base is such that publishers really might think about making specific titles just for the Switch, um, even with bigger IP. But 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 like you, Batch. I mean, I I hope that there's something to the streaming thing because when I was sinking eighty hours into Valhalla. I, Desperate to play on Switch, you know, like just to be able to like take it to bed or like go and like sit in the kitchen with it or whatever it was, you know. But but like to have the Switch experience, but applied to to games like that, which are on every other platform. I, I feel like yeah, there's something to that. Whether we're ever going to get it until the next full console refresh, I mean, it seems pretty unlikely. But um, unless it's by streaming or some mm. other technical workaround,
3: mm. yeah. But I, I do think I do. I wouldn't. I think Nintendo. I think this isn't that machine. I think, and I and I and I can buy. I can believe that. You know, when you've got an install base this large, you don't want to be making. You want to be making games that keeps them engaged. You don't want to start making games that only run on a on a um, on a an, on this new machine. You might have one or two, but if as long as it's like I think one of the games on the on the on the new three DS was uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, right? And that sort of well, that's quite a targeted game anyway. Um, so I, I think I think. I just I, I believe this that what we're going to get is a is a souped up switch rather than a <clears throat> rather than a significantly more powerful one. But I do think though we we might be looking at a new one relatively soon beyond that. You know I wouldn't be surprised if if, if sales start to slow down because I think we are going to head into this period post pandemic period hopefully where games are sales I expect will fall quite sharply and Nintendo Switch sales are going to fall quite sharply and and people will be um, and then it will, Then people will be thinking oh hang on we're into the fifth year of the Switch normally Nintendo are talking about a new console at this point and then that creates another issue um, where <laughs> Nintendo are probably at this point now where they're ready to release another wave of first big first party games on the platform and so they're probably not ready to launch a new machine because their big developers will only have just released I don't know a new Mario or a new Zelda but um, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that it's a headache that Nintendo have to deal with
1: the The generational cadences is, is interesting. Uh, the Wii was uh, two thousand six, and then Wii U two thousand twelve. GameCube was two thousand one. Y- you're really kind of looking at every five years there, and if you're talking about a new wave of big first-party games, then uh, like having a, a system in the fall of of twenty twenty-two launching with you know. Um, Breath of the Wild 2 and having new Mario after that like that that sounds like a reasonable time frame to me like I I I think back on the the original Xbox launched in 2001 November replaced by the 360 in November of 2005 and that system is not I don't look at it and think like oh well that was a failure and a flop and they needed to put something else out Uh, I, I think that they wanted to get ahead of Sony's next generation by a year, and that was the way they did it. But I also think, like, four years is where you start to get into the window of, like, yes, this is where a normal console generation ends and the next one begins. And I'm I'm pretty interested to see how Nintendo juggles the incremental upgrade switch that we're expecting, and that's reported here, with, you know, what, what's our next actual big leap and and will they wind up just kind of taking the switch and doing a mobile phone uh sort of approach to it maybe maybe not as frequently updated as as a flagship mobile phone line is but where it's just like this is the switch and then this is the switch to a few years later and it's more powerful and more powerful and then just over over time the the older switch models kind of you know we're gonna those are incompatible with the newest games now.
2: See that—that's the—that's the model that makes the most sense to me for Switch because, you know, and I can only speak from my own sort of use case. But like I, now I've got a Switch, you know, and uh, having had a Switch, like I—I I think I just kind of want a system that functions like this all the time like it's just a really good thing to have around and, and it's perfect as the second console even if you do your, your main kind of tv playing on on the other one but like it, it definitely is more like a, like an nvidia con- i mean you know there are nintendo E, you know accelerometers and all that sort of stuff going on but that's not really the key part of it like that's that's the parts of the tech that have been forgotten the the stuff that really works is the kind of thing i mean you know all creates a nintendo coming up with it but it but it it doesn't strike me as sort of nintendo-y this kind of stick it in the dock it appears on your screen take it off and and it comes with you that that's more like Mm -hmm. a tech company's thinking that's more like a sony kind of way of looking at, at hardware and and that is I, I think ultimately the popularity of that, and that is the idea that's popular, should be a challenge to what we associate with Nintendo's way of thinking about hardware, because it's not Gunpei Yokoi anymore. That's not what he would have done. Yeah. You know, that's not one of his ideas. It,
3: it, it is is—it is an extension of the Wii U, really, because I think Nintendo saw lots of people and how they played the Wii U in, in off-screen mode with their TV, and, t- and they thought, well, hang on, uh, it feels like an evolution of that. But actually, Brendan, you were talking about Nintendo's cycle of games and if you look at if you look at the history of their consoles um look at the gamecube now gamecube was a bit of a failure but in that first year it had a very strong lineup and a lot of those games that came out in that first year were initially intended for the n64 but as it got longer in the cycle nintendo went right we're pushing them back because we need to have a strong launch for gamecube and even games like sunshine would have started off as mario 64 2 pikmin started off as a mario 64 uh, sequel um and then and then it became Um, And then there's Star Fox Adventures, which was Dinosaur Planet on the N64, Eternal Darkness, which was a game for the N64. There's a lot of games in that first year that were intended for the previous platform, and Nintendo decided to push them to have a strong launch for this one. If you look at the transition between Wii and Wii U, Skyward Sword, I think, came out in 2011. Which was a year before the Wii U. So Zelda had only been the new Zelda game had only been released a year prior, and the Wii U ended up not getting a Zelda game. Well, it got Breath of the Wild, but it, it sort of took a long time before it got that Zelda game. Mario Galaxy was released in 2010, I think Galaxy Two. So there was there was there, was, there wasn't a huge there wasn't an opportunity to launch the Nintendo to launch that machine with their super first party developers. This is an unusual thing. Only Nintendo really has this problem, where their consoles are so reliant on its own teams to have games out on it. So, if Nintendo do release a Zelda game, this Breath of the Wild two this year, if they do have another Mario game in the works, if the Mario Kart team is about to turn out something new, if we're about to get a load of second generation Switch games from their first party things, I actually wonder what that means for a proper Switch sequel because Nintendo don't want to push out a Switch two, and their biggest launch games is is another is a Fire Emblem title or or something like that. They want to go in with a. I mean, Animal Crossing would work, I guess, um, but uh, they'd want to come out with one of the, with swinging again, like they did with the Switch, because that's that's one of the reasons why it worked for them. Um, but uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, it's a it's a good problem for the Nintendo to have if if they've had such a successful console in this place. But if they end up with the Wii a situation with the Wii, where they needed to replace that quite quickly, they might find that they don't quite have the software to launch their next machine with.
2: Yeah, I mean, I the thing I can just imagine how much you know third-party publishers you know Ubisoft or whoever just kind of wish the Switch could just they just wish they could port Valhalla to Switch you know what I mean like just add another five million sales on the top or something like it it must really be frustrating for third-party publishers that they can't just put all of these big games that have sunk so much money into on on this absolutely enormous platform with such a huge audience because it just it just isn't the actual the view of like the, what's going on with the hood does, does not quite support it or is a little bit too far behind I'm, I'm sure they'd all beg Nintendo for, a, for, a, for the, the kind of Switch Pro idea that, that some people seem to think is coming but you know it, as you say it might be a little further down the road but you know it, even Nintendo needs to move forward at some point as well like what, what it's planning with Breath of the Wild 2 you know it, it, it probably does need something slightly better than the current Switch to, to get it working to the right standard hard to know until we see it of course
0: that is all we've got time for this week we'll be back next monday with your usual weekly show and we do still have uh, extra episodes of the game developers playlist and five games of coming up you can subscribe to this podcast on your podcasting platform of choice to make sure you never miss an episode and you can get more news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz